Let's turn up your awesomeness, Healthy You. Welcome to the Healthy You Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Scott Haggerty. Healthy You is an online health university to give you all of the resources you need to live a life of optimal health. Our mission is to share everything that we have learned about health, decipher what the research says, and we will interview top doctors, researchers, and practitioners from all areas of health and wellness to give you the most cutting edge information on preventative health. What to expect? Well, we're gonna learn a lot, have a lot of fun, grow constantly, and challenge you to grow too. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to get all of our latest episodes, and we'll see you on the inside. In this episode of the Healthy You Podcast, moms and dads, we're gonna talk about where the perfect storm begins. If you are a storm chaser parent, you're chasing that perfect storm in your child, this episode is the nuts and bolts of where it all begins so you can really start understanding where it all started, what you need to know, and how you can become empowered to start to help people to become aware of where this begins and why so many kids are going down this path. See you on the inside. Hey, what's up, Healthy You crew? Hey, Dr. Scott here. So I'm going to really start spending some time about one of my most passionate topics. So, um, you know, as we, we move forward here with the Healthy You podcast, guys, I really want to start diving a lot more into what we do in our practice because, you know, what I've realized is that the stuff that everyone seems to be the most interested in is also what we do on our day-to-day stuff in our office. You know, our practice is what we call a perfect storm office, right? We talked about this concept of being a perfect storm chaser, but in our office every single day, we are fighting this uphill battle of trying to teach and educate parents about this perfect storm concept. Because every day we have patients that walk through the door that have babies, that have children that are struggling in different areas of life. And so many times it turns into a child that has now had years and years and years of struggling where they're being diagnosed with autism, ADHD, sensory issues, they're having emotional regulation challenges, they're having meltdowns. And every parent that we talk to has never been told the story of why. And I can tell you guys, and I'm going to be probably a little more raw and real about this than I ever ever have been in a podcast, but it just pisses me off. Because I see these parents who are, are dedicated to helping their kids, that are not being told the truth, that are being misled, that are being told the only solution for their children is drugs and putting them on um, antidepressants and stimulant medications for life. And it, that's just crap. You know, the, the story starts in a way that most people don't realize, you know, and it, the solution is not medicine. The solution is, is, is understanding what's happening inside of a child's brain. And then once you understand what's happening inside of a child's brain, this algorithm, the sequence of events that's occurred, then what you can do is you can craft a plan to improve their brain function. And so let's start at the very beginning, right? This, this episode is going to be really geared towards understanding the start of the story. And this is super important for context in this conversation because if you really want to understand why kids are going down this pathway, you have to understand that there is a predictable, reproducible algorithm that's happening every single day in every single kid that we care for. And we have seen it thousands of times now. I do histories on 30 to 40 kids per month, every month. So I've done this now for the last five years, seeing hundreds of kids per year going down this path, right? And the same story is the, is the starting point every single time, right? It is this starting point where we say, 
where did stress enter into the equation? I'm not just talking like I'm stressed out, right? We need to talk about stress with a redefinition. Stress is this loss of adaptability. It's this strain on the nervous system that it's struggling to adapt to life for some reason. Because when you talk about the way that the nervous system works and is developed, right? So the brain above controls and regulates everything. The spinal cord is what used, the brain uses to connect to the body. And the spinal cord and the nerves in every part of our body are what are conveying what's happening in the environment back to the brain. The brain has to make decisions about how to respond to every stimulus in the environment. And it uses this thing called the autonomic nervous system. And if you're you know, paying attention to anything about this on social media and the news, on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, you're hearing constantly about things like the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the nerve that is the parasympathetic nervous system, which controls rest, digest, growth, development, healing, cognitive function, sensory and emotional regulation. It's what keeps the prefrontal cortex, the executive function centers of the brain on. It is what calms the brain. It's what organizes the brain. It's what allows the brain to develop the way that it's supposed to. Conversely, there is the sympathetic system, which is fight, flight, stress responses. This is what really drives the lack of adaptability within the nervous system from stressors that enter into the body. And let's talk about this because this beginning stage to the pathway becomes so crucial for understanding how we get off track. So when we do these histories, right, one of the things that I had to learn early on to help my own little girl was that this concept of stress is something that starts early, happens often, and the brain can't break out of it. So let's talk about common stressors that we see. In the beginning, right, we always talk about what was the pregnancy like for mom. And one of the common things that we hear all the time is that pregnancy was stressful. Right now, what does stressful mean? Well, stressful can be, I was, you know, mom was um, on the go constantly with life. There was big stressors at home. There was big stressors at work. There were stressful events that happened. We moved. There were job changes. Um, there were you know, tests and interventions. And I was worried because I'd been given this news or I was given this prognosis that maybe I was going to have this issue or I was sick throughout the pregnancy. All of these things create big stress in mom. And so mom's nervous system is stuck in fight or flight. Mom, your nervous system, your nervous system directly connects into your baby's nervous system via the placenta. Because, you know, the placenta is oftentimes just thought of as a feeding tube, but it's not. It is a neural connection tube. So all your neurotransmitters, your stress hormones, all of those things, they cross the placenta, they go into the baby, and they influence the developmental path of their brain. Because what ends up happening is, is that if you are under stress, you're secreting um, hormones, so things like cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline, and those hormones, right, those things create a stress response inside of the baby's nervous system. And oftentimes a greater stress response than what the baby's nervous system is supposed to be having. Because in utero, the, the development of the baby's brain in the beginning and the nervous system starts from the spinal cord. And as it develops forward, it goes from spinal cord being driven by the sympathetic nervous system for preservation and maintenance of life. Then you get up towards the brain stem. And then later on is the development of the higher centers of the brain. The parasympathetic nervous system doesn't technically even start to develop and kick in until uh, between weeks 28 and 32 um, in embryological development. So this is actually pretty late stage when these things are really starting to come online. So if mom's nervous system has been heavily stressed, 
by any of the things that we mentioned or other stressors, right? And I know we can't cover all those things in this type of conversation. But all of those things can can uh, create an environment in which baby's nervous system is being influenced to be more active in the sympathetics, higher output from the sympathetics, training that baby's nervous system to have a very active sympathetic response, more so than what it should. So when this transition point is supposed to, to occur and the parasympathetic nervous system is supposed to come online between weeks 28 and 32, it can alter it. It can change that developmental path. It can sensitize or predispose the baby's nervous system to be stressed out when it should be transitioning over to parasympathetic to prep for life outside of the womb. This is, this is a really, really important piece of this because we find that this is a huge contributing factor in a lot of pregnancies. What it also does, it sets the stage for an increased likelihood of birth interventions. And, and I need to spend a moment on this because you know, you may have heard me talk about this before in prior um, podcasts, but this is such an important piece. It's so heavily overlooked. And and I've said this to more than a few people that, you know, if if I had my way, every opie in the country would be responsible for the care of every baby for one year after delivery. Because if that were the case, they would have a different respect for the interventions that they're using because of what it causes. And he, here's the problem, right? You've got pediatricians who, you know, really don't know a lot about the, the long-term effects of birth interventions. And th this is just the facts, right? If you talk to a pediatrician and you say, hey, did this have an impact on the, the development of my child? Most of them are going to say no, and these delays are normal, and this is, you know, this is okay, and they'll grow out of it. And, you know, every parent I talked to said, that never sat well in my gut, right? I always felt like something from the delivery process had an impact on my child. Something wasn't right from the beginning. And, you know, your mom instinct, right? Your parent instinct, it's right. Because when you see these things happening, it's these labor processes, it's these delivery processes, it's the pregnancy stressors. All of these things accumulate inside of a child's nervous system, right? Because when you've got stress early, when you've got these high intervention deliveries, these things are predisposing factors for, for stressing out a baby's nervous system. And there's other things too, right? So, you know, for example, yesterday I interviewed a, um, a parent, right? So we've got a little baby coming in. This little guy is having significant issues with, um, with reflux. Mom is a physician's assistant. So, um, she's pretty aware of what happened, but doesn't understand the impact of it. So he was a cord wrap baby. And part of that cord wrapping process also pinned his shoulder, um, so that it was locked against his head. So he came out with head and shoulders. Anytime that there is cord wrapping, we know that that is a significant amount of stress and strain on a baby's neck. And, and I know if you've ever heard me talk before, we talk about the importance of the brainstem area, um, the upper cervical spine, because it is just the second most important area in the entire nervous system, in the entire body for the function of life. Brainstem really is kind of the coordinator, organizer, regulator, and message center for everything that's happening inside of the body. Everything goes up the brainstem to the brain, and there's a lot of critical regulation centers that live in the brainstem. Things that control sleep-wake cycles, things that control digestion, things that control our emotional responses, things that control our autonomic regulation, a million different other things live there. So it's critical. It also allows for the passage of sensory information to come up. So I could go on and on and on about this. But so when this area is affected as a part of just the pregnancy, because there is this cord wrapping and this shoulder dystocia. So now you've got a child 
whose, whose body position was also creating a physical stressor. This also, you see, you know, see this type of thing happen when you've got things like breech deliveries, physical positioning in utero, massive stressor, right? So, so, you know, anytime you're talking about those stress on the baby's body because of just structural alignment while they're in these critical developmental phases, especially because the body knows, right? What the brain knows what position the body's supposed to be aligned in for labor and delivery. And when that doesn't occur, it becomes a major stressor to the nervous system because it alters the developmental path the brain expects to have. So, so that's a major stressor as well. But then when you get into the labor and delivery side, right? And we talk about things like the, the delivery process. One thing that we know that is a major, major, major contributing factor is the amount of interventions. And I know a lot of people say that, you know, it's vaccines and it's medicines. And, and listen, those all are, are definitely big pieces of the conversation. But if you look at what's changed more than anything over the course of the last 30 plus years, really 40, it is the rate of birth interventions has absolutely skyrocketed. I mean, you're talking that back in the 70s, we're, you know, we're at an inter intervention rate of 25 to 30%. 25 to 30%. And the mortality rate really wasn't that much different than what it is now, which is, is kind of scary, right? So interventions have gone up, but mortality rates have not really changed a whole heck of a lot from where they were. So you're looking at more birth interventions going up steadily, right? So you went from 25 to 30% back in the 70s to now a standard of 87 to 88% on a yearly basis. And this is public record, guys. So you can look this up yourself, right? This is um, Health and Human Services keeps these on their website to keep these records for birth intervention stats. So you can see this for yourself. So you look at this, this, uh, this exponential increase in the rate of birth interventions. As the birth intervention rates have gone up, you've also seen the increase in the rate of neurodevelopmental dis disorders go up dramatically. Let's talk about why that would be such a significant contributing factor to this first piece of the perfect storm. When you look at labor and delivery, right? Now you've got different ways that labor and delivery can occur. So you've got OB settings, you've got midwife settings, you've got home birth settings. You know, in an OB setting, we know that you are more likely automatically to have an intervention because that is just their training. That's the way that they're wired in, right? And I'm not, I'm not demonizing or not, you know, putting putting any any kind of um, stigma to them. It's the way they're trained, right? There is a management algorithm that hospital systems and their academies deem appropriate for pregnancy. So they do, they view pregnancy and delivery as a medical procedure. They treat it like an emergency. So everything is done specifically with an algorithm of how you manage it. And that's okay. It's their training. Doesn't mean that I love everything about it, but it's their training. So so expecting that to be totally different until things are, are forced to change by, by consumer behavior, right? Parents driving the delivery changes, right? So you look at their, their algorithm is that when they watch things like they're starting to, you know, see that it's, they feel like it's taking too long or, hey, you know, you're past your, your due date. You start seeing that there's this greater urge to go and do interventions like induction or stripping of the membranes or puncturing of, um, you know, puncturing of the, the amnion. So you can start to get, you know, labor to, to progress, right? So all of these things, right, push labor and delivery forward artificially. If mom's body is not ready to go into labor on its own, right, then this becomes a stressor for mom. And we also know that once you have one intervention, the likelihood for more goes up dramatically. Because, you know, you also start getting this increase in the intensity of contractions right away. You start getting mom wanting to have things like an epidural right away. So she loses 
that connection to her body and what's happening. Because, you know, so many times what we see is that moms are disempowered um, in their ability to have a natural vaginal unassisted delivery because they're not taught this, which ironically, before the 21st century, that really was all that was available, right? If mom was going to deliver, she was going to do it naturally and vaginally. And a midwife would be there to go and do the assist to help her through the process because midwives had to be mom's coach and advocate to help her through this process. So, so now you see that there is this medical management model and the medical management model has progressively increased the amount of interventions that are being used. So you've got typically, you know, the epidurals and the pitocins, but you also have a massive increase in cesarean sections and cesarean sections, you know, they average about 33 to 34% of all live births are cesarean sections on an annual basis. That in itself is a massive contributing factor to neurodevelopmental disorders because of just straight force. But even when you talk about just going through vaginal delivery, right, epidurals and pitocins, they dramatically increase the amount of force that's created. And let's talk about how that works. So if you talk about positioning, right, so mom's body typically is in a, in a reclined position, legs elevated, no gravity assist, which is a non-natural position for labor and delivery, right? Most moms prior to the 20th century would, you know, deliver from hands and knees, deliver from a squat position, deliver from positions where there was a gravity assistance that would allow mom's body to be able to have some help with getting the baby to transition through the birth canal. That's no longer happening in medical settings, right? It's extremely unusual that you see these types of things. So, so now the need for assistance, right? Because baby now is not going to come out as easily without having gravity help. So when you do a delivery, and especially when you're talking just a standard vaginal delivery, a standard vaginal delivery is going to require 20 to 40 pounds of axial traction force, right? Pulling on the baby's neck with that amount of force. A baby's neck that has no muscular stability, has never been up against gravity, and now you're pulling on it with that much force. That is a, a recipe for birth injury because it's pulling axial traction, rotating, side bending, under load right? Massive amounts of force on an underdeveloped neck, underdeveloped muscular system, and all that force is going into the brainstem area. So, so that right there is a major cause of early injury to a baby's nervous system. But then those force numbers go dramatically up when you get into the intervention land, right? So when you get into epidurals and pitocin, now it becomes more complicated. And especially if there's any kind of positional issues, those force numbers now will go from anywhere from 40 to 60 and sometimes as high as 80 pounds of axial traction on a baby's neck with lateral bending, side to side bending and rotation. So, so think about this, this is your newborn having that kind of force applied. There is absolute likelihood, almost certainty of injury from these types of labors and deliveries. When you go up into the next level of intervention, when you're talking about cesarean sections, we know that the standard is anywhere from 40 to 80 is the minimums when you add in things like um, forceps or vacuum extractors, those numbers can easily exceed 100 pounds without a problem. And this is all the American Academy of Obst Obstetricians, it's all their stats. I pulled it off of research data that they collect. So, so these are real like stats, these are real force numbers, and I don't think it takes anybody who, who's in healthcare to recognize that your newborn, your brand new baby having that much force applied is gonna cause an injury. That point right there, right, is the starting point where there is this massive trigger. You could have already had a stressed out nervous system from the in utero stress. There could have been the positional stresses, but then you have a birth injury because of these types of processes 
Now all of a sudden you're looking at a baby that was already stressed out in utero and you're talking about a physical trauma that occurred. Because, you know, the spinal column, the spinal cord are oftentimes misunderstood, right? Most people think about the spinal column as just a, a sack of bones that protects the spinal cord, don't really understand its function. But this is why this becomes so significant because in these earliest developmental stages of life, a baby's very sensitive, undeveloped, right, rapidly developing nervous system, it requires motion from the spinal column to help to organize the development. And this is where it gets really interesting because there is a, a motion of all the spinal vertebrae that occurs as the baby starts to move and develop. When they start getting head control, right, they're starting to get more and more of what's called proprioceptive awareness, proprioceptive feedback. When a baby's moving, when a baby's being moved, right, what's happening is, is that there is conduction of neurotransmitters from little muscles on the spinal vertebra um, of a neurotransmitter called GABA. So this neurotransmitter GABA, its job is to calm the brain, organize sensory input, and keep the parasympathetic nervous system on. If something happens, like a birth injury, that stops the brain from being able to go through that process of getting GABA, right? And we in chiropractic call this a subluxation. It's a misalignment where a vertebra loses normal ability to go through range of motion. It gets stuck, and it starts activating this noxious stimuli called nociception from a neurotransmitter called substance P. Substance P activates the fight or flight system, disorganizes sensory input. It traps the brain in this state where it gets locked into fight or flight. It can become painful. That's why you see a lot of babies who are colicky, right? Who are constantly in need of consolation. There's a decent possibility they're in pain, right? And you know this, right? If you've had a child with colic, you're thinking, boy, this baby just seems like it hurts. There's a good likelihood, right? Because it's the same process of when you have a neck injury from a whiplash or if you get chronic headaches, same area of effect. So you've got a nervous system that is being bombarded in the background by this noxious stimuli that's activating the fight or flight system where the brain should be in parasympathetic, rest, digest, growth, development, and healing mode. And so at these earliest, most critical developmental phases, instead of the brain being able to be calm and being, being able to take in all the sensory input, it's background noise and it's stress. And this really is what starts the brain off track. Because you watch this happen, right? You see the baby that's stressed out. You see the baby that's getting ear infections. You see the baby that is having a hard time with being consoled and needs lots of emotions and needs swung constantly and can't be put down or maybe is constipated or is having issues where they just seem like they're, they're just not calm and they're not happy and they're colicky and they're refluxy. So there's this simple analogy that we use, right? Garbage in equals garbage out. If a baby is dealing with any of those, something that is coming in from their body is wrong. So in turn, the output is wrong. A baby has, you know, a few basic jobs when it's born. It should eat, it should sleep, it should pee and poop. Pretty basic, right? And then grow the brain and develop the way that it's supposed to. But if we have this background of stress, it's starting this cascade of change in the nervous system where the fight or flight system is on. And it's starting to develop what we call plasticity. It's becoming stronger. It's becoming more and more stuck in this fight or flight path. And what ends up happening is it starts to alter the developmental track of the brain. And when you see these challenges early, right, with the colic and the reflux and the ear infections and the constipation and the irritability and all this stuff, what you're watching is stage one, the beginning course of the brain getting off track. I hope that this makes sense. The next episode, we're going to dig deeper into how this starts to begin to gain traction. 
But I'd love to know your feedback, wherever you're listening to this, right? If you're listening to this on Apple, drop your comments in there. I want to know what you think. So did you experience this with your child? How have you lived through this in your own life? Who do you know that's gone through this path? Let us know, right? If you want to go to Facebook and message us on there, awesome. We'd love to go and hear your story because guys, we're a community of storm chasers. Everything that we do now is about trying to raise awareness. We are on a mission to get this message out so the parents know why this is happening so we can stop it. We need every single one of you to become motivated to start telling this story and to start doing your own research. We're going to provide resources. We're going to really level up talking about these things in greater depth on the podcast constantly because parents, you need to know this. You need to know why this started. We're going to start diving heavy into resources. We're going to talk about the work that people like me are doing, right? Because I'm not alone, right? I'm part of a huge, amazing community of doctors that we're all driven to do the same thing, to get the word out, to go and change lives, to help babies and children, to get their lives back on track and to stop kids from going through this darn perfect storm. Okay. Tune in for the next one, guys. Love you all. Thank you so much. Share this message on, 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 of the podcast everywhere. Pass this out to your friends. Help to get people on mission with us. All right. Love you guys. See you in the next one. If you want to learn more about pediatric chiropractic and the work that we do, go to www.elitefamilychiros.com. If you're looking for a chiropractor specifically in your area, you can also go to our provider directory, pxdocs.com. Thank you for listening to the Healthy You Podcast. This show is for you, so we want your feedback and your questions, and here is how you do it. Number one, go to our show page on anchor.fm, and you can send us a voice message that we may answer in a future episode. Number two, join our Facebook group and post your questions in the forum so that our rapidly growing Healthy You community can benefit from the answers as well. Our Facebook group is a great place to connect for bonus content and special masterclasses as well. We look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then, stay awesome.